Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 282. I hope you're doing well. A uh, little update in case I know some people care. Uh, update on the smoky death outside. <laughs> uh, it rained last night, like torrential rain. I was actually uh, took a drive at four in the morning just to look to see what's going on. Uh, crazy lightning, hydro planting everywhere. A little bit dangerous, but it was. I needed some adventure in my life. Um, <laughs> geez, oh, twenty twenty. Uh, I, I think I think we're okay. The smoke is largely gone, so smoky death seems to have been avoided for now. Uh, today's episode is all about last night's football game: the Browns, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow. I'm also going to talk about Tua Tungavaloa. I watched the documentary called Tua by Fox Sports. Really loved it. We'll talk about college football. I had to do a cut there. Uh, I had a coughing fit. Not once, but twice. I've now filmed and recorded the segment in this section of me just saying that I had a coughing fit because I keep hacking up this like yellow fluid. So I think that's a negative side effect of hanging out with smoke for like a week and a half straight. Uh, I don't know. We'll talk about college football today. <laughs> Lighten the mood. Uh, we're going to end the show with some Ask Zach questions. Should be really, really fun. Uh, I hope you're doing well, honestly. I am so excited to dive in and watch a bunch of football this weekend. Should be great and going to be fun. So let's start with Thursday Night Football. Yesterday, on Thursday Night Football, the Cleveland Browns beat the Cincinnati Bengals 35-30. to And I've got a number of takeaways for both the Browns and the Bengals, but I want to start by saying that it was just a really fun, competitive, exciting, interesting game last night. Uh, I want to start by talking about the Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield, because... He had a really good day. I mean, I, I really, I was happy with the way that Baker bounced back after a pretty bad week one against the Ravens. He was 16 for 23 passing at 219 passing yards, uh, two touchdowns, one interception. He moved really well, had some really good throws. I really liked what we saw from Baker in week two. It's like, okay, good. Baker's okay. Uh, we don't need to hit the panic button. Everything's good. Now, Baker did have an interception, an ugly impatient, bad decision at the end of the game where, oh my gosh, he just got, again, I think the word there is impatient, where he threw the ball across the middle, never saw William Jackson lurking, waiting for the ball, and I just have to wonder, can Baker Mayfield go a game without throwing an interception? Honestly, and, and it's okay if he can't, but the Bengals rookie quarterback, a rookie, Joe Burrow, threw the ball 61 times last night, no interceptions, Really good decision-making the entire game. And it makes me wonder, what would have happened if Baker threw the ball 61 times last night? What would have happened? Do you trust Baker Mayfield to throw the ball that many times in one game? As And look, I, I'm a Baker. I, I like Baker. A lot of people hate Baker. I'm a guy that I, I want very much for Baker Mayfield to succeed. And I don't feel comfortable at all with him throwing the ball 61 times in a game. Says a lot. Again, Baker has thrown an interception. Last year, he threw an interception in 13 of their 16 games. And I just go, can Baker really go a game without throwing an interception? I also got to say that, you know, the Browns put up 35 points. Thank goodness uh, they scored 21 points before halftime. That's exactly what Cleveland needs to do every single week. They have too many star players, too many big names, too many, too much talent, quite frankly, to not do that every week. They should not just put up a lot of points against the Bengals. That needs to be the expectation every single 
week in Cleveland. They have too much talent to not do that on offense. They had 215 yards rushing. I love that. Nick Chubb ran the ball 22 times for 124 uh, 24 yards. Kareem Hunt had 10 carries for 86 yards. An honest reality here about Baker Mayfield is that he needs to have a good running game. It's just the truth. It's a current reality. If the Browns can't run the ball well, can they win? I'm not sure that the answer to that is yes, and it's going to be yes all year. Baker needs help. He cannot. His decision-making is not consistent enough to not have a good running game and be helped by play action, and that's okay, but that's also just the reality of Baker Mayfield right now. Now, I want to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. OBJ had four catches, 74 yards, and a touchdown. And first of all, enjoyed watching him. I'm not an OBJ, OBJ hater. I don't hate the guy at all. But after that long touchdown that Odell Beckham Jr. had in the first half, it felt like the guy did nothing the rest of the game. And I, I, it's kind of weird. I have to wonder Something feels off. It felt like OBJ is saving face or something where he's so worried about appearances and maybe his thought process is like, okay, I got my long touchdown today. I've done enough. And that kind of weird, I've done enough. It's almost like, I hate how this sounds. I do wonder though, does Odell Beckham Jr. just worry about doing enough to stay relevant every single game? Is he just worried about doing enough week to week? Because he seems very caught up with appearances. He wants to appear good enough to have hype around his name, hype around who he is. And I, I understand. I totally get it. There's a, I even feel it with my job. There's a lot of pressure to perform and deliver. And performance can be very difficult. And especially trying to do it consistently is not easy, like at all. I, I really, I understand the mental and emotional pressure of trying to perform consistently. But and I I just I don't know how to put this into words yet. I'm I'm still kind of I'm I'm sharing an unfinished thought here. But I got to wonder like is is Odell Beckham Jr. so caught up on appearances that he's only worried about doing enough rather than doing great or be succeeding at a high level. And how much does he care? I, I don't know. Something's off. I can't put it to words yet. I don't know. I'm sharing don't judge me for an unfinished thought. I, I, I'm sorry, but I want to put this out there because I just – something is weird. Something is off with Odell Beckham Jr. I can't place it. I can't put two words to it. Um, but I, there's something lacking with OBJ right now. Now, I thought that Bengals' young rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow, oh, my gosh. He was outstanding. He's not perfect. Like, don't get me wrong. He, he had mistakes last night. There are things I'd like to see him do better. He took a sack where it's like, just throw the ball away. There's little moments like that. But wow, number one, Joe Burrow is just perfect for prime time. He is so good in big moments. I love watching Joe. I think a lot of America hadn't really seen Joe Burrow played in the NFL. I'm sure a lot of people did not watch week one against the Chargers. I know a lot of people sent me messages saying like, man, I love watching Joe Burrow throw the ball. I love this. I love that. People were like, wow, Joe Burrow is not bad. And we all knew that, but it's fun for a whole nother wave of people to see. Oh, yeah, Joe Burrow can play football. He was 37 for 61 passing at three touchdowns, no interceptions, 316 yards passing. And I've never seen anything like what he did. It's so impressive to me. 
His second ever NFL game. No preseason, very weird training camp, a weird offseason in general. And in his second ever NFL game, Joe Burrow threw the ball 61 times, and it wasn't a nightmare. It wasn't a train wreck. They lost the game by five points. He scored a lot of points. I just It's so crazy to me that things went down the way they went down. I'd love to see the Bengals really develop a better running game, honestly. But I, I don't think people understand how difficult what Joe Burrow did last night is. To throw the ball that many times in that situation as a rookie in your second ever game, to have no interceptions, show really good decision-making. Honestly, from a decision-making standpoint, he, I think, outclassed Baker Mayfield last night, which is crazy because Baker had a good game. I just think people don't understand how impressive, and you need context, what Joe Burrow did last night is. I, I see a very, very bright future for Joe Burrow. It's a lot of fun to watch him play. And, and the Bengals truly are... Cincinnati is exactly what... I thought they would be. They're 0-2 right now. Uh, They're a very flawed, imperfect football team. But they're a lot of fun to watch. They're competitive. They're interesting. Like, how good is it? Forget wins and losses. How cool is it to be able to say, the Bengals are fun to watch. When's the last time we were able to say that, really? Bengals fans might have had a good time watching Andy Dalton. I never really was like, yeah, Andy Dalton, what a blast. No, it's so cool to have. I don't know that the Bengals are going to turn it around and win a Super Bowl, do anything like that. And I think part of the problem is that the Bengals ownership is happy, doing really, really well, being competitive, selling a lot of tickets and a lot of merchandise and having excitement around them. But wow, did Joe Burrow bring excitement to Cincinnati. It's so cool to see. Um, They're 0-2. They lost both games by one score. And the Bengals just got to keep building around Joe Burrow. I'm curious what the ceiling is for this franchise. I don't know. They got to make the offensive line better. They got to improve their ability to stop the run on defense. But there's a good foundation in Cincinnati. I really like Joe Burrow. And I I just feel so good about him as a quarterback. I don't know about the organization yet. They got to prove themselves. But Joe Burrow is doing really cool stuff in Cincinnati. I also thought that William Jackson... Had a good day yesterday for the Bengals' defense. He was lucky he had a a, a play down the left sideline where, guarding OBJ, very clearly he was holding onto the jersey. I was very surprised they didn't call some kind of penalty on that play. But he also had an interception. He had a really cool touchdown-saving tackle. William Jackson's a guy I, I didn't really have a lot of awareness of going into the year. I thought he had a great game last night on Thursday Night Football. And I, I will say, though, to be honest, and, and I feel <clears> – <throat> I talked about the pressure to perform with Odell Beckham Jr. I understand that when – here's the thing. When you're a big name, when you are Odell Beckham Jr., Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Saquon Barkley, when you have a superstar name and people view you that way, you have pressure to perform because – There's a reason people are excited about you. There's a reason there's hype behind you. And I got to be honest, I'm a little bit disappointed with Bengals receiver A.J. Green. I don't know if I'm the only person. I I, People talk so highly about A.J. Green. I hear the word even elite thrown around. I go, he's an elite receiver? That's what people say about him. And last night, he had numerous drops in situations where 
he could have made a tough contested catch and he didn't, right? And it's not like Joe Burrow was just throwing the ball up in the air. Now, Joe Burrow, there's a throw down the right sideline. That's a, a high point back shoulder ball, but it was a perfect location from Joe Burrow. And not once, not twice, I counted three or four times where A.J. Green had a, a look, for sure, a tough catch, but a tough catch that an elite receiver would haul in. And so I, I think Joe Burrow was dropping dimes last night. There were a couple times where people keep hyping up A.J. Green, and I go, if A.J. Green is really that great of an elite receiver, he's going to have to start hauling in these catches against man coverage, these contested Difficult catches. If you're incredible, you make incredible plays. And I, I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for A.J. Green to do that. And it, it just never was happening. And it was very um, – I, I don't know if this is fair criticism, but I, I just want to see more from A.J. Green as a fan of a of Joe – I'm a fan of Joe Burrow. I want to see him do well. And when Joe Burrow dials up an incredible, perfect back shoulder fade, even if it's a tough catch, if you're an elite receiver, which – I don't know that A.J. Green is, but people say he is. He's got to start bringing those catches down. He's got to haul those in. And so I want to see more from A.J. Green moving forward. Now, the final thing in this game is that at one point, uh, at halftime, I guess, announcer Joe Buck got a big award. He was told that he's going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. It's pretty cool because Joe Buck's dad was also an announcer. And I just thought it was a cool moment where... I was happy for him. I was happy for Joe Buck. A lot of people hate on the guy. And it seems like Joe Buck never really gets the appreciation he deserves. Nobody really understands how difficult and hard that job is. I, and I know it's, there's irony for me who I talk for a living, right? I talk constantly. And I think like it's not, it's not the easiest thing ever to talk. I, I just Anybody who thinks they can talk for an hour and a half, I do it. Do Try talking for an hour and a half. It's not as easy as it looks. But I have it easier. Like, I had a coughing fit when the, the show started today. I'll just cut it out. No problem. Joe Buck is live. He can't afford to have that moment. He can't afford to have this or that. And so when Joe Buck has a, a moment where he says something dumb once a year, I go, can we give the guy a little bit of slack? I mean, nobody I, – I just – I ask anybody, record yourself talking for an hour and a half. You're telling me you're not going to say one dumb thing in an hour and a half? I do it. I do it all the time. Like I, I am so impressed with Joe Buck, and so, and look, at least I have self awareness, and I admit it. So I just am really happy for Joe Buck. I thought he got some really well deserved praise, and uh, I do actually. I was going to end. I, I wasn't going to end there, but I want to add one more thing. There was a cool moment where Cleveland went for it on fourth and goal, and I. I loved the call, that decision to go for it on fourth and goal from the one-yard line. It reminded me a lot of the Green Bay Packers, actually, in week one, where they it's a win. If you go for it on fourth and goal on the one-yard line, it's a win-win because either you get a touchdown or if you get stopped, what it does is that it puts you in a position to maybe make a big play on defense. The Packers got a safety because the Vikings had the ball on the one-yard line. The Packers blitzed the corner off the left side. Kirk Cousins went down. Two points for Green Bay. Like, even though they didn't get a touchdown or three points, they still got two and the ball back. So, I don't know, man. I, I, I thought it was interesting. And, you know, when you take a team like a rookie quarterback with Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals and force them to go 99 yards, that's a hard ask. I mean, more teams, I think, should go for it on fourth and goal from the one-yard line. 
the Browns didn't get it. Ultimately, they they got stopped on fourth and goal. And well, it was disappointing. What happened was, it, again, it gave the Bengals the ball in the one yard line. And it eventually led to a Joe Burrow sack fumble where Miles Garrett came off the edge. He knocked the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. Bam, first and goal from the one-yard line for Cleveland. It gave them another opportunity. So their whole long drive getting down to that field position wasn't wasted. In fact, it gave them a touchdown in the end. I just want to say I really liked the call to go for it on fourth and goal. I want to see more teams do that moving forward. That's all I have. That's, I really enjoyed the Browns-Bengals game. I think and I hope it's going to be a fun rivalry for years to come. And uh, I I don't know. I think, man, I if Joe Burrow gets the same weapons that Baker Mayfield is working with, I don't know how Joe Burrow is not a – he's already a star. I, I, I'll just be frank. like he, He's got star name recognition, I guess is a better way to put it. He'll become a superstar quarterback if he gets the talent that Baker Mayfield has around him. And Baker, man, I I don't see Baker throwing the ball 61 times in a game and it going all that well. I mean, the, the odds of him throwing multiple interceptions if he's throwing that many times in a game just goes up and up and up. And I don't know that Baker has the discipline or the decision-making ability to get away with that. He needs a good running game. It's a lot of interesting stuff from last night. I'm excited for the Bengals moving forward. I want to stick with my prediction for them. They are a fun team that's not going to win a ton of games. And the Browns, I'm going to stick with that prediction. I think I said nine and I said nine and seven for the Browns. I'm going to stick with that as well. The Browns are a good football team, but they need to they, they got to perform every week. I mean, Baker has to play at that level. That is the standard for him. What he did last night against the Bengals, he's got to do that against better football teams as well. Um, and so we'll see if Baker does that moving forward. I hope so. We'll find out as the year moves on. All right. Um, I watched a cool documentary. Me and my girlfriend sat on the couch and watched a, a fun documentary. I want to tell you guys about it. So I just watched the Fox Sports documentary simply called Tua. It's about the Dolphins rookie quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa. And that number one, great documentary, very good filmmaking, good production, good sound design, the editing, the score, Awesome stuff. I really, really enjoyed it. And for a filmmaker, using Fox Sports as a resource, I mean, that would be so awesome to have the backing of Fox Sports to make any kind of sports documentary because you have a massive archive of footage and sound bites from all their opinion shows. Um, And they also interviewed a bunch of Fox Sports celebrities for the documentary. Uh, You saw some big names people will recognize. I thought that was awesome. And uh, really, really impressed with the documentary, the way Fox Sports put it together. I think if there was one company I would want to work with in the sports world, in fact, I've worked for Fox Sports before. I I love their company. They really do a good job. Uh, Whether you like Fox as a brand or not, Fox Sports as a unique individual brand, great company to work for. I I like what they're doing. Um, And, you know, here's what I loved about the documentary, honestly, is that the story, we were re- revisiting a story that we already know. I, I know what happened to Tua Tungvaloa, you know, whether it's the Elite 11 or going to Alabama, being a backup, then playing the national championship and surprising people, uh, then getting hurt his final year at Alabama. I know the story pretty well. I was there for it. I covered all of it start to finish. And everybody really, if you're a football fan, you probably know the main bullet points of Tua Tungvaloa's story. 
but what this documentary did, it, first of all, it actually made me cry, not once, but and not even twice, three different moments in this documentary, I teared up and felt my eyes well up. I was like, oh, this is, this is getting to me. And I have no shame admitting that. It was, it's a really cool story. Uh, and what I liked about this documentary was that, well, I know the bullet points of the story for Tua. There were so many little things I didn't know. Like, I had no idea that leading up to the NFL draft, his car got destroyed in a tornado in Tennessee. I'm like, oh, I never would have ever known that at all. That's, that's a crazy amount of adversity to deal with while you're trying to get your life together and go to you know, show people you can still play and you're not injured and do your, your uh, what is it, your pro day. That's a lot of adversity that I had no idea he ever happened to us. Somehow I missed that in the story. Then the logistics of trying to put together. I think people don't understand how difficult it is to do what Tua did with a, uh, his pro day where he put together a pro day at a random facility. He got guys to be there. And then also, not only that, but figuring out how to use the space they had. Because Tua's pro day with Trent Dilfer didn't use a full field. There was limited space, so they had to get creative and... Well, you're going to be at the far corner here. The receiver will be at the far corner there. That's how we'll show off a post, like little things like that. But it worked. And I'm really, I enjoyed watching the logistics of how it all got put together. Now, the three moments that made me cry <laughs> shamelessly in this documentary. Number one, when Tua's grandpa died in high school, um, I just, I've been through loss. I, I just, I, I felt this overwhelming feeling of sadness that, Tua's grandpa never got to see Tua make it. He never got to see him get drafted, never saw him win a national championship, never got to see Tua really dominate in the world of sports. And that's that's disappointing and sad. I my my brother died a couple years ago, and I, I wish my brother could see me today, right? I him and I always talked about podcasts. The reason I listen to any podcasts is because of my little brother. If he knew that my job was to make content and I was a podcast host for a living, I think my brother would be ecstatic. And it's really sad he died and never got to see that. So that hearing about to his grandpa gave me a similar feeling. I teared up. I was like, ah, oh, this is that's sad to me. Sad but touching and sweet. Then number two, there's this dramatic moment before the night before the national championship against Georgia. Tua, the backup quarterback at the time, right? The guy that is not supposed to start the game, tells his family in their hotel room the night before the game, tomorrow our lives are going to change. You're like, that's, that's crazy. You're a backup. But he had so much faith in him. He knew, Tua knew, if he ever got his opportunity, he would be ready. And he, moments throughout the year, in garbage time, he scored a lot, so he was ready, obviously, and they won the national championship. His life did change forever after that game. That's a cool story. That made me tear up. I went, oh, that's so heartwarming and sweet. And then I loved on draft day, first of all, when he got drafted by the Miami Dolphins, their general manager, Chris Greer, got him on the phone and says, we believe in you. Uh, I think we're more excited. Like We're really excited. The I, I, I teared up there, too, because it was like, oh. Somebody appreciates what what Tua did. I mean, Tua was going to be the number one overall pick before Joe Burrow, before the injury. And the fact that, and I think things worked out really well. Cincinnati got their local guy. Miami got a guy. I think I think Tua's a better fit in Miami than Cincinnati for sure. I mean, you grew up in Hawaii. Would you rather go to Cincinnati or Miami? I'd rather be in Miami personally. Um, so I think I think everything worked out perfectly. But to hear Tua get appreciated by his team, I went, <clears throat> that's, I just... It was beautiful to me. And then I also liked on draft day when 
and this did not make me cry. I just was impressed by it. Uh, Tua, you know, they, he gets drafted. There's like a, a draft day party, which a lot of people do. His family's all there, friends and family. He gets up in front of everybody, looks around the room, and very kindly and very uh, I, I well-spoken, actually, he thanks his family for coming, appreciates their support, says, thank you for coming, thanks for supporting friends and family, thanks for being here. And I just thought, number one, it's so cool to see a guy who is comfortable speaking up, he's comfortable leading, he's comfortable, it's a good vocal moment for two. I went, ah, oh, that's awesome. Number two, though, really classy. I just, I, I really liked that moment. I'd never seen that moment before. And a lot of guys are, you'd be surprised. Like, I don't know that Justin Herbert got in front of his friends and family and said, guys, thank you for coming, addressed the room, and just poised, put together. I, I really, really was impressed with Tua in that moment in the documentary. Just a, a cool documentary. I recommend it. If you've never seen Tua, just an interesting story. He's got a cool a relationship with his grandpa. Uh, his grandpa told him, if you think you're the number one quarterback in the nation, then go to the number one school in the nation. Like, pair that together. A lot of wisdom there. Another good quote was Tua says that, he will not let success change their family. They're together. And you got to love and respect that. You got to love a, a t- close, tight knit family that loves and supports each other. It's easy to get behind. And I, I also, I look, I wear Hawaiian shirts every episode now. I very quietly behind the scenes, I someday, if I can ever make it happen financially and uh, with internet, there's a lot of factors here, but if I can ever make it happen, one of my I, my dream is to live in Hawaii, quite honestly, and it was really cool to see you know Tua growing up. You see names that I've heard of, that I've done research on, and I don't know that I'm ever going to live in Oahu. Honestly, I think the Big Island is what suits me. Where you've got cold, you've got a bunch of different climates. It's bigger. You can drive around it a lot more. Um, I I but I just as a guy who I, I've really become invested in the Hawaiian Islands. I've done so much research. You know, my girlfriend and I play this trivia game, and I just. I know way too much trivia about Hawaii. Like, it's it's ridiculous and silly how much I know about this just, just from research. And so part of me just has a heart. As a, as a person who's become emotionally invested in Hawaii, seeing a guy from Hawaii do well is awesome to me. I just – look, I, I'm not Hawaiian. I never, ever would call myself that. Uh, I don't even live there. I, I just really love the community. I love their, I love the the culture there. And I, I really find it awesome that a guy from Hawaii like Tua is doing so well and I think is going to tear up the NFL. Makes me happy. Gives me another reason to root for him, which I really like. And so I, I just think it's a great documentary. If you can go find Tua, I recorded it on YouTube TV. It's pretty easy if you have YouTube TV to do that. I highly recommend the documentary Tua. It's an hour. It's short. It's interesting. It's good fun. And I highly recommend it. Okay, this weekend in college football, there's really only one good game. Uh, mostly, it's a pretty bad— Like, Look, every weekend in college football, until the SEC gets going, until it's pretty sparse for a while, this weekend is particularly bad, where like Clemson plays the Citadel. <laughs> and North Carolina, <gasps> they're going to play Charlotte. Like, I think the Charlotte 49ers, like, that's just weird. Uh, Georgia Tech plus, does play Central Florida UCF. That could be interesting. Uh, I, I, Georgia Tech has this awesome freshman quarterback. But the best game of the weekend to me, pretty clearly, is Saturday night. Number 17, Miami, at number 18, Louisville. 
And the reason to watch this game in college football on Saturday, which I, I recommend it. If you're like Saturday night, you got nothing to do because I'm a nerd. I stay home and I, I can't even go outside any because of the smoke. Uh, I just watch football all the time. If you're looking for something to do on Saturday night, watch Miami at Louisville because, and I don't, look, I, I, I'm not a prophet. I have no idea what's going to happen in the game. Maybe it's a blowout because uh, it's hard. Like 2020 is particularly hard, I'm finding, to predict what's going to happen because there's so many different factors we've never had before that play a part in how a team does. So it's, it's kind of a mess from a prediction standpoint. But De'Eric King is the quarterback at Miami. Mikhail Cunningham is the quarterback at Louisville. They are both really physically gifted. They run really well. They throw the ball well. They're guys that are they're borderline NFL quarterbacks, and we'll, I'd be curious to see how they develop throughout the year and throughout the next couple of years for Mikhail Cunningham. But they are two explosive quarterbacks. I am hoping it's going to be a ton of fun. And if you're looking for something to watch on Saturday, watch those two quarterbacks duke it out in Louisville, Kentucky. It's going to be awesome, and I highly recommend you tune in. Miami at Louisville, that's going to be a blast on Saturday night. That's the game that I think is the best and maybe the only good game in college football this weekend. Like, I think Notre Dame plays somebody kind of sort of interesting. Like, there could be a game. Upsets are going to happen. Uh, look, the Citadel's not going to beat Clemson, but somebody's going to lose to somebody that's interesting. Like, another game's going to emerge. But going into the weekend, the only game that I looked at and went, that's the game I want to watch is miami at Louisville. I highly recommend you watch it. It's going to be fun. We'll talk about it after it happens. And uh, that's the game this weekend in college football that I think you should watch. All right. I, uh, I want to run down the schedule for NFL, uh, this, the NFL this week, because we already had our first game of week two, but there's 15 other games to go through. And uh, a couple of crappy games, to be totally honest. Uh, like anything can happen. I, Especially in 2020, like it's hard to make predictions this year because, again, there's so many factors that are going on. Uh, but I would be, quite frankly, I would be shocked if the New York Jets beat the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. Um, or I'd be also very, very shocked if the L.A. Chargers beat Kansas City. Uh, now, the Ravens-Texans feels like a blowout to me. Like, there are two good quarterbacks. I love Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson is a superstar quarterback as well. Uh, but the Ravens, to me, are a way better team. I'd be, I, I, my concern is that the Ravens are going to blow out the Texans on Sunday. The Giants versus the Bears is very interesting. The question really to me, the only question I have, we'll watch you know, Daniel Jones' development as a quarterback, and the Giants are okay. They're, they're growing and learning, and there's not a lot of pressure on them this year. To, they're just rebuilding. But the, the, the big storyline in that game is, can Mitchell Trubisky keep it going? He had an incredible fourth quarter last week uh, after three pretty mediocre play, you know, three mediocre quarters of football. Can Trubisky play at a high level for an entire game and beat the New York Giants on Sunday? That's what I want to find out. I fear that the Atlanta Falcons are going to absolutely torch the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. In week one, Atlanta lost to Seattle, but they had three receivers with over 100 yards receiving. And uh, I am very, very concerned for the Dallas defense. I think Matt Ryan could really put it to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. It feels like the Lions-Packers could be a really ugly game. The Lions are banged up on defense. Uh, they're a, it's just not working under Matt Patricia, their new head coach. And uh, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers is uh, looking really good. 
So I think the Packers might dominate the Lions on Sunday. The Tennessee Titans should beat the Jaguars. Like, that's a game Tennessee should win. If they don't, it'd be a surprise to me. Uh, I would still watch the game Jaguars, Texans, or Titans, Jaguars, Tennessee Titans for the Jaguars quarterback Gardner Minshew. I also want to say that Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback in Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill is underappreciated. He's not a flashy, incredible quarterback. He's got an average arm. He's There's nothing outstanding about him, although like average is probably not the right, right way to put it. He's got a very good arm. It's just not going to blow you away. Like It's better than Teddy Bridgewater. It's a very he throws the ball pretty well, but he's also here's the thing that no one ever 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 gives credit to Ryan Tannehill for last year. He was incredibly clutch. Go watch key moments as the year wore down for the Titans season. He never had like an incredible game that'll blow you away, but he was very very consistently deliver he, he delivered consistently in key moments last year and I would even use the word clutch I think Ryan Tannehill not amazing not flashy but he is clutch on a third and two when you need the right play he'll deliver and you can't say that about a lot of other quarterbacks in the NFL Vikings and Colts uh I I hope that this is going to be a good game I really do it's I, I got high hopes man you got two power running teams they got good defenses I would be very sad if the Colts and the Vikings was not a good game this weekend. Yet the Bills at the Dolphins, the Bills should win this game. They're a really good team. Josh Allen, their young quarterback. The Bills are poised to win their division this year. But the Dolphins are better than anybody gives them credit for. So I think it's interesting, but I believe the Bills are going to win on Sunday. The Rams and Eagles is another interesting game. I'll take the Rams because the Eagles are already decimated with injuries. But Jared Goff versus Carson Wentz, it's very, very uh, – I, I hope it's close, right? I'd be sh- shocked if the Rams won by, like, 40 points. I don't see that happening, and uh, I hope it's fun. The Broncos at the Steelers feels like a trap to me. Uh, and maybe not a – trap's the wrong word there. I fear that Denver's going to start the year 0-2. The Steelers are really good. Their quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, is on fire. I really, his performance week one against the Giants was just, it cannot be overstated how good he was with pressure in his face, just delivering dime after dime after dime against man coverage with a man in his face as he's getting hit. I think Big Ben is going to dominate, and I, I, I fear that Denver's going to start 0-2 and people are going to start to doubt how good they are. It's a game, in my predictions before the year, I predicted Denver to lose to the Steelers anyway week two. So I wouldn't panic if they lose, but it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens in Pittsburgh. The Panthers and Buccaneers is a game. I'm hearing a lot of people say, oh, the Panthers are going to beat the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are bad. They lost to the Saints, yada, yada. You got to understand that the Panthers' secondary, that's their, their, their corners, their safeties, their defensive backs, they got torched by the Raiders on last Sunday. That means Nelson Aguilar, <laughs> Nelson Aguilar, Aguilar, I can't even say his name. Nelson Aguilar dominated the Panthers. And you're like, if that's if he did that, what's going to happen when the, they play the Buccaneers? The Panthers play the Buccaneers who have better receivers, Mike Tom or Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I am very, very confident that the Buccaneers are going to shred the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. And I'd be surprised if Tampa lost. Now, the Cardinals are playing the Washington football team. 
Arizona should win this game, but Washington has a great defensive line. And that's one of the few things in football that really scares me that's very unpredictable. That's the wild card in this matchup. How much pressure can Washington get? Can they get enough to massively disrupt Kyler Murray? I don't know. But that's a, that's a scary game. Anybody who plays Washington this year, their defensive line is so good. And I think Kyler's got the skills to run around and avoid sacks. And do, I, I think it should be no problem for Arizona. But that's a game that, ooh, you know, Washington's better than I thought. And they might do better than everybody predicts in that game. Number 14, uh, the 14th game of the week, the Patriots are playing at Seattle against the Seahawks. And uh, Patriots head coach Bill Belichick has been praising Russell Wilson all week this week. And I think part of that is to prepare people. He might be basically saying, like, we have no idea how to stop Russell Wilson. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm very curious how the Patriots' defense does in Seattle this weekend. What do they do? What's their game plan? Because, you know, I've been talking to Brett Coleman, Coleman behind the scenes. He's making a whole video about it. Russell Wilson has been set free, like let loose to just do whatever he wants and uh, throw the ball a ton. They're throwing the ball all over the yard, at least week one they did. And so I am curious and nervous for the Patriots' defense on Sunday. Then you have Monday Night Football, the Saints at the Raiders. It's the Raiders' first game in their new stadium. Uh, The stadium is incredible. I love it. Really the big question is how good are the Raiders? Can they hang with one of the big boys in the NFL? I'm not sure they can. The Raiders barely beat Carolina last week. I don't know that they're a good enough team to hang with the New Orleans Saints. But again, it's the NFL. Like you can't. It's not like Madden. It's not like college football. Even anybody can beat anybody. And so I, I'm hopeful for the Raiders this week. And we'll see. I'm very fascinated how they do against New Orleans. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. Then that's all I have. But Ask Zach is really fun this week. we got a ton, a ton of questions. Uh, I need to take a short break. My voice is dying. The the smoke in my throat is killing me. And uh, so I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, Joining me now is a very special guest, Tucker the Cat. Take a look. He's beautiful. He's my best friend. He's awesome. Um, We're going to do Ask Zach right now. He's just purring away. I'm going to let him sit till he's, till he's, oh, maybe he wants to leave. Oh, he's so great. It's time for Ask Zach. Ask Zach is my favorite part of the show. It's where we answer questions from the audience. Uh, we haven't done it in a while, quite honestly. Uh, it's been, you know, between NFL predictions kind of dominated my life, then trying to do, he's trying to get out. I'm going to let him outside. First of all, NFL predictions took over my life. And then covering week one, I watched like 14 games in the course of, uh, Three days. Come on, you can get out. I gotta, let, I gotta let the cat out. He's silly cat. Can't get the door is open, and if he just like flick his hand and open it, it would go open. But <sighs> he's a special boy. I'll be right back. Um, you know, I'm trying to get you guys on iTunes and Spotify to watch on YouTube. Let me tell you, that cat is so cute. If you didn't see that, you're missing out. Uh, in case you don't know how it works, Ask Zach works this way. You go to Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do it. Literally helps pay my rent. Um, but a dollar a month a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Uh, now, I do not guarantee to 
answer your question on the show, but I do guarantee to look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple, answer them on the show, and uh, and this is not just questions. You can send in questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, ideas. If you have something to say on Strong Opinion Sports, write it in. I might just read it on the show. It's really fun to do that. The first question of the day comes from, let's find it. Stupid Zach did not open Google Docs. I'm just a mess today. I, I think I'm going to go to the river later. It's too cold to swim, and it, you can't even get out of the car. But I want to just sit and look at the river because I, I need a break for a second to kind of calm my mind. Uh, Sean writes in. He says, after watching week one, who is your front runner for MVP? I know it's way too early to tell, but I'm interested to who you see could be a threat this year to win the MVP. So I see five guys in contention for the NFL MVP this year. Uh, actually, probably four because I have Lamar Jackson on this list, but the reality is that you never really see a back-to-back MVP in the NFL. They're going to give it to somebody else. So actually, I guess there are four guys in contention for the MVP this year. Lamar, I love him. I think he's going to have an MVP caliber year, but he won't win because he won last year, if that makes any sense. Uh, and And maybe the same goes for Patrick Mahomes, where he won two years ago. People like a new story. So actually, now that I say it out loud, I would go with the three candidates now for MVP because Lamar and Patrick Mahomes just won the last two. I think they're out despite having they're going to have incredible years this year. I think the names that are going to shine the most are Kyler Murray from the Arizona Cardinals. The second year, great weapons around him. He's going to surprise a lot of people. Aaron Rodgers, I think finally after week one, I'm, I'm very hopeful might have an MVP caliber year. But the guy, I think I think it's finally his time. There's one guy, if you listen to the show for long enough, you know who I'm going to say it is. I think it's finally time for Russell Wilson to get the recognition he deserves. Thank goodness. I, again, I talk to Brett Coleman all the time about this stuff. Uh, Brett is like, dude, the Seahawks are finally letting Russell Wilson free. They're letting him, they're like setting up, they're like opening the cage and say, do your thing, Russ. Do whatever you want. And Russ is like, it's oh, like a whole new world. He's like, I'm going to dominate. Uh, that was cringy. I apologize. But he's going to dominate. Russell Wilson is going to be outstanding this year because they're not limiting him anymore. They're going to let him throw the ball 35 times a game and throw it all over the yard. And he's going to have a crazy high completion percentage. He's going to score a bunch of touchdowns. Russell Wilson is the guy that should have won an MVP five years ago. And so it's going to be cool for him to finally get the recognition he deserves. I think Russell Wilson is probably the favorite to win the NFL MVP this year. Part of it is because Lamar and Patrick Mahomes have already won one. I think it hurts Aaron Rodgers as well because guys like, would you rather give another one to Aaron Rodgers or would you rather, from, if you're a media member, I know that this is the way the media works. They get really excited about new people that haven't done something before. Like, oh, the new exciting face, especially with a, a an award like MVP. So I see Russell Wilson winning the MVP this year. I think Kyler Murray could someday. I think he's unfortunately going to get outclassed and outshined by Russell Wilson. The next question of the day comes from Jeffrey. Maybe it's just a comment. Let me check it out. Jeffrey writes in. He says, as a Packer fan, Packers fan, excuse me, I was really satisfied with their performance in week one. That's the best I've seen that offense in a long time. Jeffrey, I totally agree. Uh, week one from Aaron Rodgers and the Packers was so exciting. 
that's what I've wanted to see from them for a long, long time, and I hope that it's something that continues because Matt LaFleur coming into Green Bay was a guy with really good play design, and I I was like, you give Aaron Rodgers good play design, that's going to be amazing, and it never. I waited and waited, and the Packers' defense was good. They ran the ball well, and we never saw the explosive attack from Aaron Rodgers' right arm. So this year, it seems like we're going to see that this year. That's going to be really, really fun. I hope we see that the rest of the year from the Packers. Zach writes in. He says, Patriots fan here. Thanks for letting everybody know. Uh, (laughs) Cam was fun to watch. Efficient passing and dynamic running. They didn't ask him to do very much in the passing game, but that clearly wasn't the game plan here, and the game plan was effective. Curious to see how the plans evolve as they face tougher defenses and they need to score more than 21. 21 points will not be enough to beat Seattle, I'm pretty sure. Going to be fun to see what Cam can do moving forward. Yeah, uh, look, that game this weekend, first of all, Cam is a great fit in New England with the New England Patriots. I'm happy for him. I think Cam is way better off with Bill Belichick and the Patriots than he would have been rebuilding the Carolina Panthers with Matt Rule. Cam Newton wants to win. He wants to be the star. He wants to do well. I don't think that's what would have happened this year in Carolina. Carolina fans, a couple of them are still bitter about them getting rid of Cam Newton. I I just think it's better for both sides if Cam Newton walked away. I'm glad. I think Cam won. He got a better team. The Panthers got a guy they could rebuild with and do whatever the heck they want with and not waste the end of his career. Like, wouldn't you, if you were the Panthers and you're rebuilding, would you not feel a little bit guilty wasting the end of Cam Newton's career? Like, I, I, I actually would. I think Cam Newton deserves better than that. And so. Uh, I, I think I'm glad that both of the Cam and the Panthers decided to part ways. I guess the Panthers decided to part ways. They just released him. Either way, I think in the end it was good for Cam Newton. Now the question to me is, first of all, I, I think the wild card in this Patriots-Seahawks game on Sunday has got to be Cam Newton. Like how can, can Cam Newton throw the ball at an incredible level and win that game? I, I don't know. It's going to be fun. How cool would it be if Cam Newton went toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson? They just went back and forth sharing balls. No matter who wins, like as a football fan, watching the Panthers and, and Seahawks, or excuse me, watching the Patriots and Seahawks go blow for blow back and forth for an entire four quarters would be so much fun. Now, I don't know that, I don't know if the Patriots can do it. I don't know that anybody, maybe the Steelers, maybe... Oh my gosh, maybe the 49ers can slow Russell Wilson down when they're not injured. I don't know that anybody can stop Russell Wilson, especially not this year, with the way that the Seahawks appear to be just letting Russell Wilson do his thing. And so I don't know how you stop Russell Wilson. I don't know that the Patriots can do it on Sunday. But the wild card in that matchup is what happens with Cam Newton and the Seahawks? Can Cam Newton go blow for blow with Russell Wilson? That's going to be a lot, a lot of fun to watch. The next question is from Thomas. Thomas writes in, he says, are you going to do weekly power rankings this NFL season? I don't plan on it. I'm not a big power rankings guy. I used to do a thing called the Deadly Dozen. Maybe we'll go back to it. That's kind of old school, strong opinion sports, where I used to do just kind of ranking my top 12 teams in the NFL um, I, I've got no desire to rank teams anymore. 
I know that's weird. I don't know if that's an evolution. I don't know if I just got tired of it. I don't know what's going on there. I need to maybe journal about it to figure out why I feel that way. Like, why don't I feel comfortable ranking NFL teams? I think part of it is because it's not college football. Like, anybody can beat anybody. You can have an idea like, oh, these are the good teams. These are the bad teams. At a certain point, the records just reflect that anyway. And you're like, oh, the best records end up at the top of the power rankings. So I'm not really into power rankings. I think they're kind of silly, but I will say that I'm going to think about it because Thomas asks, are, we, are you going to do it? And I've gotten a couple of questions like, where do you rank this team versus this team? And, and maybe it's not very accurate, but it might be fun to have the conversation if that makes sense. Like I could do a power rankings and just admit like these are imperfect. It's just for the sake of having a fun conversation. And maybe that's the way to do it. What I don't want to do is just, you see these guys, when I was growing up listening to the NFL media, these very self-righteous guys go on and say, I know this. And they just, I don't want, I so badly do not want to be what you see on TV. I don't want to be, people are like, you sound like such and such from ESPN or Fox. I'm like, I don't, that's not a compliment to me. I don't want to be like them. And so I don't, I, I don't know internally why I'm struggling with the idea of doing power rankings. I don't know if it's my rebellion. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, uh, but I'm going to sort it out. And, and again, it might be okay and it might be fun to simply have a lighthearted, fun conversation. Where do you rank this team versus that team? It doesn't need to be life or death. The problem is when you rank anybody or anything, what comes along with that is just the wrath of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I understand that's my job. <laughs> Doesn't mean I like it, though. Like, nobody likes being the villain. It's not fun. I, I don't care who you are. When LeBron James went to the Miami Heat and he became a villain for a while, I think it got to him. And I don't think anybody really likes... People want to be liked. People want to be... Nobody likes having mud thrown at them. It's just not fun. Like... Stirring a pot and making a crowd angry is fun like a little bit at first. And then you're like, oh, I just am so sick of all the anger and vitriol. Because it's one thing if it's just on YouTube comments, you can avoid those. It's like my dad gets emails. I get messages on every social media platform from some angry cowboy fan or something. And it's like I, I just ugh, I can't I can't do it anymore. I'm so I just I don't. I don't know if that's part of why I don't want to do power rankings, but I know that it certainly plays somewhat of a factor somewhere. I'm going to actually answer the next question. I'm going to go to the very end. I was not going to answer this yet, but uh, we'll come back to the other ones later. Because So that, that question was Thomas's. So we'll come back to Jack's question later. But first I want to answer a question from Jaeger. Jaeger writes in, he says, he says, Hey, Zach, don't really have a question for you for the podcast, but you could answer it if you want. I will. I think it's interesting. He says, which fan base was most upset at your predictions? Who was, which fan base was most upset at you for your predictions? I would guess the Bears or the 49ers. I really enjoyed the predictions episode. Another question is, how were Panther fans? Since Cam is gone, I would hope we weren't too hostile towards you. I agreed with what you said about the Panthers. I hope you're staying safe in our current situation. Have a good day, Zach. Jaeger, um... First of all, I thought the 40, 40, yeah, 49ers fans were mad at me. I think it's ridiculous that they were mad at me. I said that the 49ers would go 11-5. and five. That's incredibly complimentary. Like, what else do you want, dude? 
you want to you went to the Super Bowl last year. I have it going eleven and five and making the playoffs. Like I, I'm sorry if that's not good enough, but I, I, I just see I, like okay, like be mad about that if you want. That's ridiculous. Uh, mostly the people that were mad at me were a fan of any team that I predicted to go under five hundred. Like it's crazy to me. Like. Either I said they were going to go under five. I said a team would have a losing record, and they're like, you're crazy. Like, I think the Raiders, I said seven and nine. People are like, how could you? Like, our team is going to go 12 and four. We're so good. I'm like, okay, whatever. But it was even more crazy to me is when you say a team is going to be bad, and they're like, hey, we're bad. We're not that bad. We're not going to go four and 12. We're going to go five and 11. And it's like, you're arguing over a one different loss difference. Like, Dude, I looked at the schedule. I know what I saw. I don't know that. I hate when people get so angry and have so much vitriol and they don't even listen to what I said. How many times do I deal with people? I'm not asking this. I'm telling you this. I deal all the time with people that yell at me and argue with me about something that I already answered. I'm like, if you just watch the dang video or listen to the dang podcast and don't comment when you saw the initial topic, you would understand that I answered your question or I addressed the thing you're mad about. Like, ugh. Or then the people that you mispronounce like one name. I, I, I think there was a moment where I called A.J. Brown from the Titans, A.J. Green. And actually, I literally went in and I edited it out and superimposed me saying brown over green because I miss I said the wrong thing. But like you know who I'm talking about. If I say AJ Green and I'm talking about the Tennessee Titans, you know what T what player I'm I'm talking about AJ Brown. Obviously. Like, come on, dude. Like, you're really gonna pick up like I'm getting really angry. I, I'm getting the 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 anger I'm getting every single day, I'm trying so hard to not let it get to me. Like it's I understand it's part of the job. It's the least fun part of the job for me because for me, I love sports. I love talking about sports. I love sharing my love with people. And I, I'm not I, – I think I'm incredibly fair. I'm incredibly lighthearted. I care about doing things the right way. I'm not mean. I, I, I'm incredibly passionate about, about what I do. Like I, I started talking about sports because I enjoy sports. I am a fan of football. I'm a fan of Formula One. I'm a fan of baseball. I love the NBA. I love LeBron James. I love Tom Brady. There are things I love, and I want to tell people about that. And I, I, I hate when it crosses the line and it no longer is fun when people are just yelling and spewing at you. I'm not – I'm always – I try to be incredibly fair is what I'm – and I just – I think the – I stopped I, – I completely stopped um, tuning into YouTube comments. I just – the other day I was looking at them. I was like, this just isn't good for me. It just makes me angry. To listen to people that aren't listening to me and are yelling me about at me about something I already answered and addressed, like, ah, uh, I don't know, I don't know. I, I just went on a whole tangent there, um, and I'm I, I'm just worn out on the constant anger and hatred and vitriol and the mean emails and the mean messages I get, and uh, I talk for a living. And I, when somebody talks for an hour and a half, like I will say this, man, people are so hard on Joe Rogan. You know how much Joe Rogan talks? How, how many hours and hours and hours of conversation Joe Rogan has? Like, 
how do you not make somebody angry if you're talking that much? It's just inevitable. It's just going to happen. And so, or, or even that, even more so is you're going to say something dumb. If you talk for 15 hours a week on a show, you're guaranteed to have at least like three hours of dumb nonsense that makes somebody mad. And not because you're intending to, but just because we're humans. We're flawed. And the, the standard that people expect, I think that the expectation that somebody talking about sports knows every little thing and gets every little thing right is a ridiculous idea. Like, we're human beings. I'm a human being. I talk about sports because I love it. I think I have some valuable insight about the NFL, honestly. But it doesn't mean I don't get st- stuff wrong. I get stuff wrong all the time. The fun of it is to go, why was I wrong? What happened? Let's examine what went on. And nobody wants to have that conversation. It seems like nobody seems to have the patience to understand, like, oh, I'm not hateful, and I'm going to own when I'm wrong. And also, it's okay to be wrong because I'm a human being. Everybody gets stuff wrong. And so I, I just, I don't know. I'm trying to make content I'm proud of. And uh, I've talked way, 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 way too long about this topic. But I'm just sharing my heart, I guess. I'm just tired of the anger. I'm tired of all the hatred and anger and vitriol. It's just, ugh, ugh. I'm so tired of it. Jack writes in. Jack says, what did you think of Joe Burrow's first game? I thought he was good, even though he wasn't great statistically. It was really fun watching him that fourth quarter drive. His teammates really rallied around him. It's so bad the kicker didn't make the kick. I would have liked to see Joe Burrow do what he could have done in overtime. To see what Joe Burrow could do in overtime. Also, did you think it's a big deal that Joe Burrow is already named a captain? You usually don't see rookie captains. I think it speaks a lot about his leadership. Okay, so I'm not going to dive into the first game. Uh, game one was fun. Game two was even better for Joe Burrow. They're 0-2. I totally get it. Makes sense. They're a bad team, but they have a good quarterback. What I find really, really, really exciting and cool about Joe Burrow is his comfort in the NFL. He's so poised. He's so the word. I just I go back to the word comfortable. He does not look like a rookie quarterback. Yeah, he was named a captain as a rookie. His leadership stands out, and not just his leadership, his ability to not care what situation he's in what's around him like he has the uh, if I don't know that Joe Burrow realistically can turn around the Cincinnati Bengals he's certainly going to try I think ownership is going to always be a problem in Cincinnati they're always going to limit Joe Burrow to some degree but if anybody can turn around the Bengals and make them a team that wins a Super Bowl it's Joe Burrow I mean Joe Burrow has it he has the mental fortitude the guts the stones, the the makeup mentally to handle the pressure of turning around and not just turn. It's not just the pressure of turning around a bad football team. It's also dealing with the nonsense every single day. Why do we? Have, why is this a part of our franchise? Why is that? Life is full of so much unfairness and ridiculous nonsense. And uh, I hope that I hope that that doesn't discourage. I hope that that doesn't discourage Joe Burrow. Like. He's working in a very imperfect system. And the minute you notice the flaws of the system you're working in, the minute it becomes really hard to tolerate any kind of flaws. And I think there are some flaws in Cincinnati Joe Burrow cannot solve. And my fear is that that stuff starts to eventually wear him down emotionally where he goes, I can do everything I can control, but I can't control 
the free agency market. I can't control the way my team trades players or this or that. Like There are little things Joe Burrow cannot control about the Cincinnati Bengals that I fear eventually are going to drive him off a cliff and make him really, really discouraged and frustrated. I hope I'm wrong. That's my fear about Joe Burrow moving forward. Okay, Kenny writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I am pleased to see your Cardinals predictions coming to fruition in real time. I am very up on the Cardinals, thanks to you. Though, admittedly, I did not think they would beat the 49ers. I'm not sure if you recall, but I hit you with the worst to first question back in early May, SOS episode 248. That's crazy. 248 was so long ago. Uh, I, I just, that's, we've done so many episodes. It's insane to me. And you picked the Cardinals as the most likely team at the time to go worst to first. At the time, you weren't sure about the Cardinals' shot at winning their division. But that changed by the time your predictions video came around. Your prediction for week one is looking strong. Prediction is looking strong after week one. Great insight on your end from the start. Kenny, uh, I'm still on the fence about the Arizona Cardinals winning their division. I just, the way I do my NFL predictions is I look at the schedule. I don't go, the Seahawks are the best team. They're going to win the division. I go, well, let's look at the Seahawks record. And I pick every single game. And usually what I found when I went through their wins and losses, I said, well, the Seahawks are going to go 11 and five. And when I counted up the wins and losses for the Cardinals, I went, oh, I see 12 and four. And so I say the Cardinals, I guess winning the division, like uncomfortably admitting like this is weird, but I, I guess like, yeah, 12 and four. I, I still see 12 and four from the Cardinals as I look at their schedule moving out. They got a very favorable schedule. I think they might be, I think the Seahawks are a better team than the Cardinals, but the, C, the Cardinals have a much easier schedule. But I got to say, man, beating Seattle is going to be incredibly tough for anybody, especially Arizona. Um, Seattle is kind of learning how to let Russell Wilson finally be Russell Wilson. And so, um, yeah, as much as I am rooting for the Cardinals and I, I would, it's cool when a prediction comes true. Like it feels good. It's kind of cool. A lot of it's luck, quite honestly, like. My prediction could always be wrong any day if Kyler Murray gets injured and you're like, well, man, totally wrong on that. So I don't know. I'm not that emotionally invested in my prediction, but I would say that the hardest part of that prediction coming true is going to be beating Seattle down the stretch for Arizona. Joe writes in. Joe says this. Hey, Zach, love the show, so keep it up. Wilson looks great as ever. Rodgers also had a fantastic game week one. How much do you think getting Jordan Love in the draft spurred Rodgers on to try to get back to his previous MVP level? P.S. How crazy was the F1? I stopped watching. I stopped watching for two minutes and all of a sudden six people were out. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Joe, I, so I don't think that the, I don't know how to put this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something out there. It might sound really stupid, and I might immediately contradict myself, okay? So I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm trying here. <laughs> I don't know that why Aaron Rodgers is making it and being very successful, at least after one week. I don't know that has very much to do with Jordan Love. Jordan Love is not a threat to Aaron Rodgers. I think, and now here's where I might contradict myself. I guess it's possible that Maybe Aaron felt disrespected. So, like, maybe, maybe he thought, like, drafting Jordan Love was just you guys saying, I don't have it anymore. 
And when you disrespect a guy like Aaron Rodgers, he's going to try to prove the world wrong. He's going to try to prove to the world that he's still got it. And so I guess maybe that, but I, I don't, I think whether Aaron Love, whether Jordan Love was drafted by the Packers or not, maybe Aaron would have had a great year. Uh, and are the Packers smart enough to plan that we're drafting Jordan Love not because we like him, but because we want to motivate Aaron Rodgers? Like, I, it's all weird to me. And I, I just have to wonder, like, if the Packers didn't draft, maybe, maybe this is the answer to the question. Is Jordan Love the catalyst that drove Aaron Rodgers to be even better? Maybe. Because maybe without Jordan Love, would Aaron Rodgers have the same fire, hunger, desire, and burning to make people wrong? Right When, he st- when Aaron Rodgers started with the Packers, they had Brett Favre. And for a long time, the fire deep inside that drove Aaron Rodgers was this desire to prove people wrong who said the Packers made a mistake getting rid of Brett Favre. Like, screw you. I'm good. I am a good replacement to Brett Favre. Let me show you. He had something to prove. And maybe, I guess this answers the question. Yeah, I guess so. That adding Jordan Love gave Aaron Rodgers something to prove. Whether he'll ever admit it or not, I don't know. But the reality is it did cause a bit of a, I think it, I'm sure, I'm certain that it caused a fire inside of Aaron Rodgers. And so, yeah, I guess the answer in the end is, I guess Jordan Love did have a big deal to do with Aaron Rodgers seemingly playing really well. After one game, I don't want to overreact, but if Aaron Rodgers has an MVP caliber season, you could definitely say, Jordan Love being drafted played a role in that because it motivated and lit a fire under Aaron Rodgers. Not about losing his job because Jordan Love is not a threat to take Aaron Rodgers' job. Jordan Love is not, he's not ready yet at all. He's not a threat. But I think the disrespect, the, oh, really? Let me prove you're like, oh, you don't want me? Oh, really? Let me show. I think that's the, the, oh, really? That's what. I think drives Aaron Rodgers. And so, um, yeah, I guess Jordan Love did have a bigger part than I have admitted so far. Uh, now, the Tuscan Grand Prix was amazing. Felt like a demolition derby, derby. If you don't watch Formula One and you're an American, try it once because you don't have to know a lot about racing to understand, like, oh, what's happening is crazy. The, the cars are really fast. That dude crashed at, like, 240 miles an hour. Oh, my. I mean, <laughs> people that... If you were ever going to watch a race that was not – if you were not a racing fan and you were ever going to watch a race, you should have watched the Tuscan Grand Prix last weekend. My girlfriend was next to me. She was mind-blown. She's like, are you kidding me? It's like, again, like a devilish derby. Like eight people got into crashes and had to retire from the race. Unbelievable. So, uh, Joe, yeah, I loved F1. I loved F1 last weekend. It was such a good time. Clutch God writes in. He says, hey, Zach, Flemlo just started a podcast with KTO. I think it's Karsten the Oracle, I believe. Another great football YouTuber. Is there a possibility of you guest starring on his podcast on, or on any others? On, on his, his podcast or any others? I think he means or, not on. Your conversation with Flemlo was awesome on SOS, and I'd love to see you talk with him and KTO. Stay safe. The fires are very close to my house, and I hope it's not as bad for you. Um, yeah, Clutch God, stay safe from, stay safe from the fires. Uh, it just rained here, and so I think that's going to help, hopefully. We got, like, this crazy acidic rain because of the smoke, but it, the air looks a lot clearer outside, so that's, that's positive. 
Um, I don't do very many. I intentionally do not do very many guest appearances because it's really hard to find time. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's clear from the outside looking in. All I do is work and hang out with my cat. Like that's I literally watch football constantly. I'm constantly writing. And if I'm not writing, I'm trying to take two hours off to rest so I can keep writing. Like it's, all I do is work. And I, I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of guest appearances, and I don't want it. I want to make my own content. I don't. I don't want to make other people's content. I want to make Zach Schalmer's content. So, um, now with all that said, if Karsten the Oracle, I think KTO, KTO, if KTO and Flamlo ever wanted to have me on their show, I would do it in a heartbeat because I like them. Uh, I don't know Karsten very well. I, th- I think his name is Karsten. I don't know KTO very well. Uh, but I've heard good things about him. I think he actually went to University of Idaho. I think him and I were like eight miles apart. Where I was at Pullman, Washington, and he was at University of Idaho. I used to I dated a girl in in, Pol- in Moscow, Idaho. I'm pretty sure we were like a mile apart a lot of the time when him and I were in college. So it's possible that KTO and I were like really in close proximity geographically, and then uh, we just never never met or never connected. I loved working with Flemlo. Flemlo is such a good – you can tell. He's got a good heart. He's a good dude. I t- I've talked to him now. It's like behind the scenes, then on the show, Flemlo is a really wonderful human being. I think a great role model for anybody. And uh, so if, if KTO and Flemlo – hey, if you're listening and you ever want to work together, let me know because I'm, I'm all ears. I will listen. I will have a good time. I think uh, KTO has proven to be a – I don't. I've only watched like one of his videos, literally, but I, I'm pretty sure he's he's good at what he does. Uh, and then Flemlo, I've watched Flemlo multiple times. I really like Flemlo, and I've talked with him and I've worked with him. So, if they ever want me on their content, hey, sign me up. I'm in. That'd be fun, and I'll work with them any day of the week. Okay, uh, two more questions, comments, concerns left. Alex writes in. He says. What do you think about Haskins giving a halftime speech while Ron Rivera was getting an IV? First of all, the IV is crazy, right? Like Ron Rivera is getting cancer treatment at halftime of an NFL game. What is going on? And how how do you not rally behind a guy doing that? Like your coach so badly wants to win. He's getting cancer treatments on the sidelines and still coaching. I love it, right? And then it's cool that Haskins delivered this. Halftime speech because he backed it up. I'm glad he's vocal in the locker room. I mean, I'm very excited for Dwayne Haskins. And uh, I, I just uh, I want to see him grow as a leader and a quarterback. And I'm really happy to see him step up vocally and Washington. He's got a tough road ahead. I mean, there's a tough road ahead for Haskins. But he's been working really hard, and I hope it pays off. I really want to see Dwayne Haskins pan out and become a successful NFL quarterback. Final question today is from Evan. Evan writes in. He says, My team, the Bills, came out and played well besides a few sloppy plays. Josh Allen seemed like a much improved passer this year, which is what we need. I I don't have a lot to say here, but Evan, thanks for writing in. I wanted to share your comment. The Bills dominated last Sunday. And I don't think this, I don't, I do not believe that the score even properly shows how much the Bills dominated on Sunday. In fact, I had to turn the game off because the game was uncompetitive. I was like, this is boring and uninteresting. The Jets are so bad, I can't watch this anymore. So, yeah, Evan, I agree. Uh, I, I think Josh 
as I try not to burp really loudly into the mic, I think Josh Allen is is really um, getting better and making strides and stepping forward. He runs really well. Like he runs way more than anybody talks about. Josh Allen's like a borderline running quarterback. I mean, it's kind of crazy how much he runs the football actually. So uh, I'm excited for the Bills. I think the Bills win their division. I'd be surprised if they didn't. And uh, yeah, hey guys, that's all I have. Uh, thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you so much. It's a Friday. Uh, I'm excited to put this content out. Hope you have a great day. That's all I have. But um, bum, bam, we are done.